0: As I was looking around, and I was I was looking at the, the setting here, it reminds me of how um, how people used to gather around and listen to Jesus. And I pray this morning, as we get into Judges chapter 2, it'll be on page uh, 363 in, in one of those HBF Bibles, if you've got one of those and are looking for it, page 363, uh, people would gather around and listen to the words of Christ to get the, the bread of life. The Bible tells us He is the bread of life, and they would be hanging on His word. And this morning... Uh, we want to hear from him. You don't want to hear from me. As we're turning to the book of Judges chapter 2, I want to talk to you about some pictures, some pictures that God has painted in his word. And we've we've heard the saying, I know if you're like me, you've heard this saying a thousand times, a picture is worth more than a thousand words. And uh, before I was a pastor, I spent several years drawing pictures and, and uh, assisting in commercial and industrial heating and cooling installation. And a drawing was important. Uh, if, the, if the drawing was uh, sent out with the, the material, you could get the job done. And God has given us a picture book. Many people don't realize that, but the Old Testament is a picture book. And it helps us put our Bible together so that we can get the job done that God wants us to get done. And so this morning, uh, it isn't my opinion that the Old Testament is a picture book. The Bible tells us in Romans 15 and verse 4 that whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. That we, through patience and comfort of scriptures, might have hope. So God has given us his word uh, to give us hope. He has given us his word and he's given us pictures and he's given us things in the Old Testament to encourage us in hope. And the title of my message this morning is Delivering Hope in Desperate Times. And I'm sure there may be some even this morning that are gathered here and you need some hope. Uh, is there anyone today that needs some hope this morning? Maybe you're gathered here this morning, you're facing medical needs, or maybe you have some uh, relational need that you're struggling with, maybe some financial problems, uh, maybe some grief or some anxiety that's troubling you. And today you need hope. There may be some this morning uh, living with a, a life of sin and despair, and it's causing you to realize maybe that your decisions are causing you to be in a situation of hopelessness, and you need hope. You may feel defeated or depressed or even despised this morning and you need hope. You may need, uh, you, ne- you may need something this morning that only God can provide and that is hope in a hopeless situation. We all need hope and there's an ancient, ancient Italian proverb that says, hope is the last thing ever lost. The proverb reminds me of the misery of lost hope and how hopelessness draws men to death. There's a character in the Old Testament, his name is Job. In Job chapter 7 and verse 6, the Bible says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. I, I hope that there's nobody here today that has uh, is, finds themselves in a hopeless situation. It's like being a dead man. The wisest man who ever lived said, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. And today... If you need some hope, the pictures that God gives us from the Old Testament in his picture book will bring us that hope. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 6 that, that uh, the, the things that are written and, and the things that transpired in the Old Testament, the things that we would struggle with with sin and lust and all of those things uh, have already been experienced by generations past. Uh, Paul taught us in 1 Corinthians 10.11, he says, Now all these things happen unto them, those in the Old Testament, for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Paul is not talking about the end of the world or a cl- in a cataclysmic sense at this time. He's speaking about uh, those of us that would be seated even here this morning on the other end, all the way around the world uh, halfway around the world from where the gospel was initially spread from the apostles in the first century. Today, God has provided us hope right here, right now, at this time. And he wants to show us that from the Old Testament. So I've asked you to look at Judges chapter 2. And I hope you've gotten there by now, page 363, if you have one of those Bibles from HBF. And we're going to look down at verse 6. And uh, I'm going to read this passage to you, and, and then we're going to pray. And so let's just look at the text. Uh, Judges chapter two, second chapter. The sixth verse. These are the words of Joshua. Joshua was the leader of Israel, a victorious leader. I'll talk a little bit more about him in just a moment. And he is having a conversation with a whole generation of people. A generation of people that have decisions to make. That need to go in and continue to go forward in God's progress and God's plan for their lives. He says in verse 6 of Judges chapter 2. And when Joshua had let the people go... The children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath Harris, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gash. And also all the generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Astroth. heavenly father as we look at this text this morning as we enjoy this incredible time of praise we enjoy this setting lord we know that even in a setting as beautiful as this lord there are people feeling uh, hopeless. There are people that are in despair. There are people that have uh, uh, burdens upon them. Lord, today I pray that you would remove those burdens. That you would uh, cast our care as far away and our sin as far as the east is from the west. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would refresh those that need refreshing. Lord, I pray, God, you'd teach those that need teaching. Admonish those of us that need admonishing. Lord, encourage those that need encouraging. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today from your word this morning. About a faithful generation, Lord. I pray God you'd help us not to be a faithless generation and end up being a failing generation. Heavenly Father, show us from the picture of the Old Testament some things that we can use today to walk away, not only in hope, but being able to deliver others, to deliver others in hope. Lord, we thank you and we praise you this morning for the opportunity to gather here in this park and the freedom that we have. We thank you for the setting. We thank you for the opportunity that you provided for all the work that's went into this. Lord, we pray that of all that is done, Whether we eat today, whether we drink, whether we praise your name, whether we uh, preach the Bible, whether we study the Bible, whatever we do, Lord, we pray that you get all the honor and all the glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want to do this morning as we look at this passage in Judges chapter 2 is just simply frame the picture. I've told you that the Old Testament is a picture book and I just want to take a moment and and frame the picture and and kind of talk about the character Joshua. I've already mentioned that I would touch on that and and, uh, if you're asking who Joshua is, you're asking good questions. Historically, Joshua was the disciple of Moses who was the deliverer of the nation of Israel from the cruel bondage of Egypt. Moses led Israel through the Red Sea into what is uh, now known as Saudi Arabia, and it is there that uh, he prepared the children of Israel to enter into the Promised Land, which is a region of modern-day Israel. Joshua and Caleb were also uh, with him. They were two spies of the twelve that were sent out to spy out the Promised Land in Numbers chapter 13, and and they came back out of twelve spies. They were the only two with a faithful report. And while ten of the twelve spies encouraged the children of Israel not to go into the promised land, not to claim the promises of God, Joshua and Caleb were full of faith and saw no reason not to go forward and defeat uh, the giants that inhabited the land and claim their inheritance, which was the topic of what we saw in Judges chapter two, people going to possess their inheritance. God has an inheritance for all of us. He wants everybody. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should have eternal life. He wants them to, he wants all of us, every man everywhere, to inherit eternal life. And he sent his son on the cross so that we could do that. In this Old Testament picture, Joshua is, is, is a, is a leader who is part, who has been charged of God to help the children of Israel claim their inheritance. This morning, we need to be about the business of claiming our inheritance. In Numbers thirteen, the text that I mentioned, uh, where they went into the promised land, I'm just going to read this to you, it says, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. In Joshua's mind, in Caleb's mind, there was no obstacles that could not be conquered by God. They were more than conquerors, as we just sang, as the Bible teaches us in Romans chapter eight. We are more than conquerors through Christ. And he was trying to get the people encouraged. He said in verse 31, But the men that that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report on the land which they had searched out unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which ye have gone to search it is a land that eateth the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come... Of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. They lost faith. They saw what was in the promised land. The the things that God promised them, they were discouraged in because they thought there were giants there that they could not defeat. Sometimes hope deferred makes the heart sick because we don't really believe that God is able to provide what He says that He will provide. Joshua and Caleb were two men that believed that God would give what He said He would give. They walked by faith, not by sight. They had confidence in what God said. The faithlessness of the children of Israel caused a delay for nearly 40 years before the children of Israel were actually victorious and entered the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. After the death of Moses, God charged Joshua to lead Israel across the Jordan River and conquer Jericho and the entire region, which they did successfully. And that brings us to the text this morning that we just read. After living for 110 years, Joshua finally passes away and God gives us the record of his faithfulness and the faithfulness of his generation. You see, Joshua, Joshua is a picture of Jesus Christ. His name, Joshua, in the Hebrew, is the same name for Jesus in the Greek. It's, it's, it's the same word. Joshua in Hebrew is Jesus in the Greek. Or as we get it in English, Yeshua and Jesus, but in Greek. But we know that Joshua's name means Jesus. So God gave the law to Moses on Sinai. Joshua was the only man who was even near Moses on Sinai. Moses never entered the promised land, but Joshua did, because he is the picture of Jesus Christ, the only perfect man, the only man who ever kept the law without breaking it. Now Joshua himself was a sinful man, just like the rest of us, but he's a type, or he's a picture, he's a shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter four and verse 15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like us, yet without sin. The Lord Jesus Christ is and was sinless. He lived a sinless life. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. He's alive right now and he wants to lead us into eternal life. Joshua was a faithful servant who became a successor. Is was a faithful servant that became a successor. You see, Jesus came uh, to keep the law so that he could uh, succeed the law. In Matthew five seventeen, 17, Jesus himself said this, Thank not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, if you or I had to keep the law to be perfect, none of us would be able to do it. The Bible's very clear that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can't keep the 600 commandments in the Old Testament without failing. We can't even keep the 10 commandments without failing. And that's why God had to send someone before us. And that was Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the law. And that's what he said he would do. I have come not to destroy the law. The law's not bad. It, the Bible says later, Paul says, it's our schoolmaster. The rules help us understand that we can't keep them. And we need a savior. We need hope. And we need Jesus Christ. Joshua pictures that in the Old Testament. They needed a leader that could bring them into the promised land. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 2, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Like if we could keep all these rules and regulations and somehow I'll get there, somehow I'll, I'll be good enough, we'll never make it. And even though that seems like it's a hopeless situation, it's actually not, because that is when we finally are understanding there must be a way and that way, of course, is Jesus Christ. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. So Joshua was a mighty warrior, a commander of God's people. And Jesus will come back, as the Bible promises, as He ascended in Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 1 there, just after verse 8. He said, I'll come back. And of course, when we have the fulfillment of that in the Bible, if we go and read Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, when we get to Revelation chapter 19, Jesus comes back as a mighty warrior. He will take over the planet. He will govern this planet. He promises that. We are victorious because Jesus is victorious. We just sang about that. Joshua brought victory over the giants of the land in Canaan, and Jesus brought us victory over the giant of sin and death. And we are victorious this morning because of Jesus. And the analogies go on and on as Joshua, like Joseph and David, are strong types and strong pictures of Jesus Christ. So I hope you get the picture. Uh, uh, no pun intended. So God is giving us an understanding of the degeneration of a successive generations. So if G- Joshua is a type of Jesus Christ, let's consider ourselves and, and look at what is going on at this time in the nation of, of, of Israel. There are those that have entered the promised land. They're very faithful. So if you're a note taker, the first thing I want to talk to you about this morning, other than Jesus Christ being a type of Joshua, or Joshua being a type of Jesus Christ rather, is this first point, and that is this. There's a faithful generation. There's a faithful generation. We see this faithful generation that, that, that is being referred to by Joshua. It's a faithful generation. Joshua's generation, by the way, was not perfect. It wasn't a perfect generation. It wasn't sinlessly perfect. They had their flaws. We see that at Ai. They go in, they had one of the men uh, take a Babylonian garment and a, I think a brick of gold and they caused all kinds of problems. They weren't sinlessly perfect but they, they were faithful. They did what God called them to do. They judged the sin that God called them to judge. They were willing to follow God's word obediently and though they were miraculously saved in Joshua's generation from the bondage of slavery in Egypt and witnessed the saving power of God through the Passover and the Red Sea crossing, not all of Caleb and Joshua's well, none of Caleb and Joshua's generation made it in the promised land because they didn't believe God's words. It ended up that Joshua and Caleb were from an older generation. They were from a previous generation. And, and they were bringing a message to a younger generation that had been raised. At one time, those, those children's parents said, we can't take our kids into the promised land because this, this, this land is going to eat up our families. It's those very children that God rose up to go in and take the promised land because their parents would not believe God to do that. And so Joshua is leading this faithful generation across the, the the uh he's led them across the Jordan River, he's led them into the promised land, and he's speaking to them about generations that will follow. That subsequent generation, or that second generation, learned from their parents' mistakes and obediently followed Joshua faithfully across the Jordan to claim their inheritance in the promised land. The text reads if you sell if your Bibles open there to Judges chapter two and verse seven. Uh it says this look down at verse seven. It said about this faithful generation. It says it served the, the Lord all the days of Joshua. It says and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that He did for Israel. And so there was a generation, of course, that, that lived past. Joshua for an entire different, you know, and a whole another second generation in essence. And these folks were faithful. It says they served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that basically followed after. So you've encompassed a couple generations here. The generation that followed Jesus is counted as a faithful generation, right? They got the gospel where it needed to go on time. We're here today because of faithful generations that have delivered the word of God before us. If you look throughout church history, it seems as though the the Bible, the church, there's been a, a war raging against God versus the devil. And the devil's always trying to stamp out this book. He's always trying to take the words of God away. From the Garden of Eden in Genesis, the Bible has been under attack. God's Word has been under attack. And therefore the people that carry God's Word are under attack. And yet, we find that these people that were entrusted with the law, they were under attack, but they were victorious. They were more than just a little victorious. They were completely victorious. And because of that, they served the Lord all the days of their life. They were faithful to God because they understood that God was faithful to Him, to them. And they were, fa- and God is faithful to His Word. God, He gives us His Word. He is faithful to His Word. If God was to document my life this morning, if God was to document your life this morning and characterize it, would He say that, you know what, you are a faithful man or woman of God? Would your life look like a picture of faithfulness? Somebody who believes God, that follows God, is victorious through Christ. It doesn't mean you're sinlessly perfect. It doesn't mean you haven't had a struggle. It doesn't mean you haven't faced obstacles. As a matter of fact, faithful people often face obstacles. That's how we have our faith tried. Are we faithful? Is that how God would describe us? Are we part? Let's go a little bit broader. Is our family faithful? Is our church faithful? Is our community faithful to God? Is our nation faithful to God? Is our generation faithful to God? Those are good questions we should be asking ourselves. And if we're not faithful, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's because we're not faithful to what God's Word has said, what God has called us to do. It doesn't mean we don't know what God's Word says. It means we are not doing what God says. So we still talk about great generations. There's been some great generations uh, even in, in just secular history, the generation that fought... I'm going to leave the Bible for a moment and just talk about our culture in America. In this country, we've seen some great generations. We even call them great generations. That generation that fought in World War II is often called the greatest generation, right? Uh, I've heard that. I've known a lot of those in my family. uh, Several, several of my uncles and great uncles, of course, fought World War II. We had some of our members in our church in some of the most severe and worst battles that have ever existed, and we have called them the greatest generation. That generation lived from 1900, was born roughly between 1901 and 1927, and they lived through the Great Depression in the 1930s, Uh, and then they ended up going from that right into. The, uh, the World War Two. So some of them were born during the time of, or just after the time of World War One, went through a Great Depression, entered World War Two, hardship after hardship, difficulty after difficulty. Many of us don't understand what it would have been like back then. Today, the United States is considered a superpower, right? And we have all this technology and all of these accoutrements that come with it. But back in the early 1900s, we were no superpower. But God gave a super generation, and, and he did a wonderful thing uh, in this country, and it was amazing in that generation, the sacrifices they made. Of the, of the 16 million that fought in World War II, only 167,000 were still alive last year. As incredible as the exploits of this generation was, their influence on successive generations is fading just by nature of, of death and, and, the, and the process of life. Well, that same thing happened in Israel. And that's actually what the Bible's talking about in the book of Judges chapter 2. It's talking about faithful generations, faithful men, faithful warriors, faithful people that held fast to the word of God. Following that faithful generation was a faithless generation. It wasn't that they didn't know, obviously, that God had given them inheritance. They, they lived in a, in a promised land, and, and there were new children born in that promised land. And they, it wasn't like they didn't know what to do. They had the tabernacle set up at Shiloh, and they had the priests and the Levites, and all of those things that were established in, in, from Sinai and, and, and got started in the wilderness were transferred in the promised land and, and functional in the promised land as God had intended it. They set up the uh, sanctuary cities for the uh, uh, those that uh, that uh, were, were manslayers. And so God had all that set up and they were, were organizing themselves. And all of those things were in place. I mean, it was all there. And yet there was a faithless generation. Look down in verse 10 of the text that we read this morning. Judges chapter 2 and verse 10. The Bible says here, "...and all that generation were gathered under their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam, and forsook the Lord God of their fathers, and brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed their gods and the gods of the people that were round about them. And they bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger, and they forsook the Lord. And then it says at the end of that verse there in verse 13, And served Baal and Asherah. I mean, it's not just, it's one thing to just drift away from being obedient to the Lord, but they went the opposite direction and began to worship other gods. And not just any other gods, these are these are false deities, uh, Baal and Asheroth, two primary false deities uh, that were being worshipped that God had delivered them from uh, in the nation of Egypt. Asheroth was a female deity that worshipped in the ancient world, was worshipped in the ancient world, and Baal was her male count- counterpart. And and so these this wicked uh, system that was set up, they ended up going from from God's promises and God's word and God's way to worshiping these pagan deities. Not all now, not all that generation. By the way, that next generation that followed was faithless. Judges judges opens with the first judge, Othniel, the nephew of Caleb, conquering Kirjath Sefer in Judges chapter one, verses eleven through thirteen. It's a great account. I don't have time to read it this morning. But Othniel was rewarded with Caleb's daughter. Then they were also able to claim some spring. So you saw that same spirit. Othniel was a mighty man. As a matter of fact, his name means he's he's mighty like a lion. His name is that of a warrior. I mean, he was much like Caleb uh, in that sense. He was a mighty fighter for God. And he claimed the promises that God had for them. Later, uh, after Israel uh, was is punished by God for their disobedience, God used Othniel to deliver them from the king of Mesopotamia. If you go forward past where we're reading in Judges 2 and look in Judges chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 8, you'll see the account of how God used Othniel, this judge, this mighty man. Not of Caleb's generation, not of Joshua's generation, but after that. He came along and he had that same spirit, he had that same uh, faithfulness, and he delivered the children of Israel from the Mesopotamian king. He was a fighting man, and he was a man who believed God's word. Israel was blessed to have them. In, faithless, in, a, in a faithless generation, we have those who are hot, like Othniel. And then we have those that are cold. And over time, the hot and the cold mix together and the souls become, well, they become lukewarm. Uh, the hot gets colder and the colder gets warmer. And the next thing you know, it's just, if you look at the book of Revelation, it talks about a generation that makes God sick. It just He wants to spew them out of their mouth. They're neither hot nor cold. He just, they're just faithless. It's not that they don't know what to do. They just don't, they don't care. They just don't care. The heart of God is missing. The passion that God needs in a man and a woman to serve Him is, is not there. It's not that they don't have the knowledge of God, but it hasn't been transferred 18 inches into the heart. It's not part of the soul and the being of, of who they are and, and what they're all about. And, And it makes it makes God sick in a a church of Laodicea, at least in Revelation chapter three. In a faithless generation, you have this apathy, this comfort that that sets in and and it turns into apathy. And then that soon turns into apostasy. And then as we get to the end of the book of Judges, we see that the whole nation is in anarchy. And you're like, well, Brian, uh, I mean, come on. I thought you were going to bring a message of hope. Hang on. I am. But you know what? You can't have hope unless you really are honest about where things are at. Without Jesus, without Jesus, it's hopeless. Without Jesus, there is no hope. But with Jesus, we have all the hope we need. The text we read says that we are spoiled. They said we're spoiled. Their enemies began to spoil them. We even use that term today. My kids are spoiled. But what does that mean? We we give them too much. A, they go on to say, we can't stand against our enemies. We no longer are able to stand against our enemies. They can't fight. They can't stand up. They can't take a position of offense or even a defensive position against the adversary. In Ephesians chapter 6, it's no accident that, that one of the primary things that the Christian is to do... Let's fast forward the tape to today. What is the primary thing? If you're here today and you say, I'm a Christian. I'm born again. Hallelujah to you. I, I am too. Now, the question isn't just, are we born again? It's, can we stand? Can we stand? The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Now, he says finally. There's a lot that comes before that. It has to do with our walk with the Lord, our walk with other people, our love for God and our love for others. That precedes all of that and then he gets to the, to the final charge here and he says, finally my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You see, this isn't just an Old Testament picture that we're talking about. God commands in the New Testament that Christians are suited up in the whole armor of God that our minds Right, are, are, are fixated on understanding the assurance of our salvation through Christ. That, that we have that shield of faith which quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked. The same faithfulness that was required in the Old Testament is required in the New Testament. Believing God's Word is mandatory. And there is hope because we have a sharp two-edged sword which is the Word of God. Right, And we understand that we have the breastplate of righteousness. Not our righteousness, not the good works that we have done, but the righteousness of Christ. It covers our heart. And there is no defence on our back, right? Our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Or are they? Are they or are they not? A faithful generation can stand. A faithless generation cannot stand. Why? Because they dropped the armor. It's gotten to their head. It's gotten to their heart. It's gotten to their hand. It's gotten in their feet. They become weak. They're not able to stand. Oh, beloved, God needs us to be a faithful generation, not a faithless generation. The Christian can choose to be strong in the faith or a slave to weak and beggarly elements of the world. The Bible tells us in Galatians 4.9, But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire to be in bondage. The Apostle Paul was, was charging the church saying, Don't go back! Don't go back to the world. Don't go back to the things that are weak and beggarly. And let those, those things bind you. Jesus Christ is much more sufficient. Go forward in the grace and the power of God. I pray this morning that choices are made today. There's a time in the Old Testament when a prophet named Elijah, he had a standoff between God and the prophets of Baal. And there was a wicked king named Ahab. Not Ahab the Arab, king of the burning sands. Another Ahab. And, and he and he, and he he put this thing, he, he allowed this to go on. So the, the prophet Elijah, he rolls up on this situation with the prophets of Baal. And he's at this time feeling like he's the only prophet left. There were actually more than him. There was about 4,000, but he didn't know about it. He felt isolated. Sometimes when you're faithful, you feel like you're all alone. That's not true. There's lots of faithful people out there. It wasn't just Othniel. It wasn't just one judge or two judges. Once the battle was started, once people started following God, you know what? All of a sudden you started seeing other people rise up. Because God was working in their hearts too. But Elijah didn't know that. And God had called him for such a time as this to stand. And he feels like he's standing alone. So he's, he and God are enough. You know that? You and God make up the difference. You may be outnumbered on every side. But you and God make up the difference. Because you know what? God always wins. He is victorious over sin and death. Even though they slay us, right? Yet will we serve him. That's what Job said. Yet, yet though you slay me, yet will I serve him. Why? Because he believed in the resurrection. He understood that God had power to resurrect from the dead. Do you have that kind of assurance this morning? That if you were to die today, that you would resurrect from the dead? I do. I'm counting everything on my life on it. I believe that the Bible is true. I believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. That He he rose again the third day. That He's alive right now. You know what? Elijah was a prophet and he, he shows up in the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 18. It says, and Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. He stood up and made a, a, a very strong charge. He says, listen, who are you serving today? Are you serving Baal? Notice it's the same exact God. This is hundreds of years later. It's the same exact God that the children of Israel went back to in Judges chapter 2. The same false God. And he stands up hundreds of years later and says, Hey, whose God are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the God of this world? Or are you going to serve the Lord God of heaven? Today is a day of decision. You see, before Joshua died, he challenged the children of Israel with these words. He said in Joshua 24 verse 14, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him sincerely and in truth, and put away the gods, small g, which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in, whom, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." You know, a decision has to be made in our hearts and it affects our homes. And the people answered and said unto God, uh, said unto him, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is, he it is that brought us up out in our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people whom we passed. And the Lord drove out uh, from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore, we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. But if you forsake the Lord and serve the strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after uh, he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, ye are witness against yourselves that ye have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. They made a decision, a public decision to serve the Lord. They said, we will serve the Lord, Joshua. You and your house are serving the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. We understand this is a sober decision and we're going to make it. Have you made a decision this morning to serve the Lord? If not, why not? Why would you want to serve Baal? Why would you want to serve any other god? Why would you want to serve yourself? Uh, I I don't know. If you want to be uh, counted as a faithful generation, like the generation uh, that was in the book of Judges, or uh, a faithful generation of times past, we have to set aside all the gods and follow Jesus Christ faithfully today. For there are those who are lost that don't know Christ What does that mean to you? It just means simply coming to Christ for salvation. There are those that are born again believers and you just need to renew or I need to renew our passion, right? As I was preparing this, it wasn't exempt from myself. I'm like, Lord, I want to be that faithful generation. I don't want to just know what to do. I want to do what you told me to do. I want to be faithful in what you have called. We need to lay aside the weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and run with patience The race that is set before us, according to Hebrews 12 and verse 1. There is a a race. We have to strive and keep our eye on the prize. If you're not having a daily relationship in your Bible, I can promise you, you can be saved and born again, but but you are not contributing to being part of the solution. You're part of the problem. A relationship with the Word of God is mandatory. Now, some people, they don't understand that. And they're they're young, and they need they just need a good church home. They need people that will come around them and help them in the Bible. At our church, and there's other churches, offer discipleship ministry, right? Uh, a ministry to help people grow in the Lord. Some people just, they made the right decision. Now they just need the right equipping. And that's the way God designed it. He took 12 common people, and he invested his life in them. And, and those are the people he could entrust to carry his mission forward in the first century. Those were faithful men who could teach others also. So when God left this planet, He left three things for us so that we could be faithful. The first thing He left, of course, was the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter two, the Spirit of God shows up and He sends that to replace Himself and it indwells the believers. And then the New, local New Testament church was formed. And then by the end of the first century, the whole canon of the Scripture that we have today, the New Testament, was formed, and we have the, the whole Bible. So we have the Holy Spirit of God, the local church, and and the in the Word of God. Those three things need to be active in our life if we're going to be faithful in our generation. If we're going to be faithful to God, if we're going to be faithful to our husband, our wife, to our children, to our families, to the ministry that God has entrusted to us. We're kidding ourselves if we think that we're faithful, but we're neglecting the word of God and grieving the Spirit of God and washing our heart and not washing our hearts and our minds daily. In the purifying water of God's Word. And we're just kidding around. We're just, we're turning into a faithless generation. Christians, let's be honest about our sin and our failings so that we can claim the faith that God has for us. God needs us to repent and, and forsake those things and, and not dabble in the weak and beggarly elements of this world, but, but be fully persuaded and fully committed to being a faithful generation. And finally, we see the failing generations. What happens if we don't? Well, Again, the picture book is full of pictures. It shows us the car wreck. Everybody likes a car wreck. If you want to see a spiritual car wreck, just read the book of Judges. It's not a pretty picture. We go from faithful generation to a faithless generation to a failing generation. By the time we get to Judges 2, verses 20 through 23, Israel is out of fellowship with God and God is not answering their prayers and allowing them to suffer the consequences and the bondage of their enemies. It says in Judges 2 there at the end of that chapter, if you're looking in your Bible, it says in verse 20, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, Because that this people have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left uh, when he died. That through them I may prove Israel, whether they keep the way of the Lord and walk therein, as their fathers did keep it. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered he them in the hand of Joshua. You see, God initially intended to leave the adversaries that were remaining in the land to just teach the children of Israel war, not to judge them. In Judges 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many as Israel had not known the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war at the the least, such as before knew nothing thereof. God initially left the enemies around the edges, right? Just so that they could learn war. The next generation could become adept at warfare and understand what was required to defend the property. But ultimately, because they turned to other gods, God had to allow those those gods to judge them. It was not what God intended. It wasn't what God wanted, but God allowed them to reap what they sow. The last words that we find in the book of Judges, in Judges 21-25 says, in, in, "...in those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right." In his own eyes. And the nation was in utter chaos. It was anarchy. It was terrible. It was a faithless generation. It was not just a faithless generation. It was a failing generation. And it's not a pretty picture. There was a generation that knew not the Lord, nor the works that he had done. And they were a faithless generation. So we saw a faithful generation. We saw a faithless generation. And then we saw a failing generation and if I stopped right here, you'd say, Brian, I think this is the most depressing message on hope I've ever heard. And I want—I I apologize for that, but I don't. Because I wanted to say all that to say this. We can find hope in any generation. The good news is, is that God gives us hope. And He overcomes all of those things. You know, the word generation is, is formed from the word gene. We still use that, right? We talk about our genetics and, and we got all these testings now to see our, 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 our DNA and all of those things. You know what? Ultimately, there's a perfect man, and his name is Jesus, and he has overcome all the failures of humanity. The truth is is that none of our lives are perfect pictures. Maybe, Maybe your life isn't a perfect picture this morning. Perhaps your life would be more likely to be described as a faithless generation, or maybe even a failing generation. And even if it is, I have good news for you, because God is greater than all of our sin and able to overcome the most desperate circumstances through the power of Christ. He spoke the world into existence and He created all that is and all that we see this morning. He knows how many hairs are upon your head. He knows when the sparrow falls and he knows, he knows the condition of your heart this morning. And He wants you to be victorious more than you do. What made the difference in a time of judges was sincere-hearted people calling upon the Lord for deliverance. In Judges, there were men like Othniel, as I've mentioned, Ehud, Shamgar, Barak and Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah, Samson and others... Though faulty people, they found themselves in victory within their generation because they depended upon the Lord. What Israel needed was leadership. A faithful priest like Eli, unlike, I'm sorry, Eli and Hophni and Phineas. They needed a faithful priest. They needed a faithful king, unlike King Saul. And you know what? God delivered them, both of those things. Those generations ended up producing faithful men. God delivered both a faithful priest and a faithful king from two women, in completely different and desperate situations. It could be this morning that you're here right now and the key to this generation is sitting at this park. And you may be in a desperate situation like Hannah, or you may be in a desperate situation like Ruth, and it is from that desperation and crying out to God that God delivers you and brings you the promises that He promised. In the case of, of Hannah, of course, she was she was a lady who, who was barren and was despised and had an enemy, an adversary, and she poured it out to the Lord and the God provided a, a son and that son became a faithful priest in Israel. Generations before that, there was Ruth. Ruth was a, was a Moabite. She had no inheritance in the children of Israel. And yet God used this situation that shouldn't have never really happened, but God allowed it in His grace. And she's a picture of the church. And she's a, she's a, a Gentile bride redeemed by Boaz, a Jewish kinsman redeemer. And from their union, which is a miraculous thing in itself, God produced a seed that led to David through Jesse, the great grandson of Ruth and Boaz. And while nobody knew what was going on, God knew what He was doing. And He was taking people that were in desperate situations, living in faithless situations and, and despicable situations, and that He saw their faith and He saw their desperation. He saw them cry out to God. And He did a work in them that sometimes people didn't see for years. But it wasn't long after little Samuel started growing up with Eli and in the tabernacle there, there was no open vision. Nobody could see what God was doing. And God started speaking to that young priest. And it wasn't long as he grew into a man that David came to the fore and God had that priest anoint that king and God had the solution to that nation's problems. And those guys are both pictures of what God has provided in Christ. He is both a faithful king, he is a faithful priest. He's the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And many people don't realize that the solutions to all the problems were already solved 2,000 years ago, and yet we, we, we wait and we hesitate to put our faith in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God brought the faithful king and the faithful priest from the most obscure and unlikely places, and God delivers hope to the hearts of the broken and contrite. It was in the most hopeless settings that, that he brought Israel from Egypt. It was in the most hopeless settings that he brought David through the seed of Boaz and Ruth. And it was in the most hopeless and desperate circumstances that God answered Hannah's prayer and brought forth Samuel. This morning, God will not despise the broken and contrite heart. He is looking for a people in a generation, any generation, that will simply come to him with a broken and contrite heart and believe his word. Because God loves the world and he loves you this morning and he gave his son on the cross for our sins choose to follow jesus today and not the crowd you know in jesus earthly ministry jesus said this about the people that were religious he says hey listen you got to enter at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many be the way many uh, many there be in which go in thereat because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. Today, if I were to go out and survey just in Harrisonville, there's 10,000 people in Harrisonville. There's about 100,000 people in Cass County. Statistically, I don't know how many people would really say they believe the word of God. There would be a lot of people who'd say, oh, Jesus is all right. You do your thing. I'll do my thing. And, and that's their decision. They can do that. It's free country. Praise the Lord. But at the end of the day, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's no man that comes of the Father but by Me. And we need to take his counsel seriously. Trust in the words of the Lord, and don't lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 21-2 says, every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It's reasonable to call upon the name of the Lord. You know what God says? He says, listen, I'm reasonable. I'm, for, I'm a God of thanking people too. I'm not just, a lot of people think, oh, Christianity, that's just some crutch. Listen, God is a God of thanking people. He says in, in Isaiah 1:18, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I don't care how smart you are. You know, and I know, we all know in our hearts, that sin is the biggest obstacle any of us can face. And you cannot clean it up without the aid of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can cleanse us from unrighteousness. The hope of every generation is Jesus Christ. Even when Jesus walked the planet, the religious people uh, rejected Him. In, in Luke 7.31, Jesus said this, The Lord said, Wherein too shall I liken the men of this generation? Notice He says this generation. He's talking about the whole group as a whole. Not every one of them, but the, as a whole, the generation. So this is what the generation is like. They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another, saying, "We have piped and you have not danced and ye, and uh, we have mourned to you and ye have not wept." What Jesus is saying is that many in that first century generation wanted to be God and they refused to obey him when they told they did they were not happy, they wanted Jesus to dance when they played, right they, they weren't happy with Jesus being the Lord of their life. God delivered his son on the cross. So that we could be delivered from the power of sin. Would you call upon the name of the Lord today? Right now, you could you could tell me in your own life, you know or you don't know. Uh well you know, you know whether you have called upon the name of the Lord or not. That's what I'm trying to say. The bottom line is this either you know Jesus as Lord and Savior or you don't. And I pray that everybody here does, but the Bible's very clear in Romans three twenty three that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I'm going to invite anybody this morning that needs to be established in a relationship with Christ, or or maybe you just need to pray this morning. Maybe you just need to take all your burdens and cast them on Him. I tell you what, like Hannah, she just came and prayed and God cast, and God answered her prayer. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, God's faithful and just forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But God is very clear that we can't earn our way to heaven. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. This morning, if you're here and you've never come to that place, that you've trusted Jesus Christ and today's a great day to do it. We've already had we already have one coming forward anybody everybody is welcome one. Let's stand together in an attitude of prayer. If you could just right where you are just stand. And we're going to just have a moment of prayer and as we wrap up this message and we consider what we've heard there's a there's a faithful generation, there's a faithless generation and then there's a completely failing generation and it would seem like failure is the worst thing possible but actually sometimes it takes failure to realize That we need something else. And this morning, maybe that other that thing that we need is that hope. You see, God delivered hope in the most unlikely circumstances, the most unlikely places. Maybe you came to the park this morning and and you were just kind of coming for some praise and some music. But all of a sudden you realize that God is doing a work in your heart and He is delivering hope into your soul. He wants you to have freedom from sin. He wants you to have the assurance of salvation. Maybe this morning you don't know if you died where you'd spend eternity. Maybe you need to settle that this morning. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray. If there's anyone under the sound of my voice this morning, they come to the park and I've I've talked a lot to Christians, but ultimately this morning we need to remember that God loves all sinners. I was lost and now I'm found. Lord, I know there are others that maybe even this morning at this park, they're lost in the true sense of the word. They may not know.